Hope everybody's doing all right. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time today, my name is Philip Brand, and I'm the pastor here, so I'm glad that you are, are with us. Um, Wednesday night, we are having a meal um, at 6 o'clock, and it's a Wednesday night meal right before we do our Wednesday night activities. If you would like your family to be a part of that, if you could take your communication card and just put your name and your coming and then hand that to Seth, who will be at this round table out here after the service, um, we will we'll make sure that we have food for your family. Speaking of food, everybody get enough for Thanksgiving? Everybody got enough? Did you eat enough turkey to take a nap? Yes? Took enough turkey to take a nap? I, I feel like sometimes that uh, is the best way to deal with special relatives. Uh, take a nap. Oh, come on. <laughs> Just kidding. I love my relatives. I say that a lot. It's really a joke, joke sort of thing. But there are some special relatives that you have. Um, from time to time, but nonetheless, yeah. So the turkey was good. I didn't eat turkey. Turkey isn't one of my, my, my things. Just not one of my things. There's nothing biblically wrong with eating turkey. I've tried to find that in Scripture, but um, it's not there because, you know, you always want some type of Scripture to match up what you're, what you're doing, right? So I had chicken. I had Rice Krispie chicken. It's a, it's a, a secret recipe, sort of, that I've been making for years. So I had that. Nobody else ate the Rice Krispie chicken. They ate turkey and ham and all that kind of stuff. But I ate the chicken, um, which, was, which was really good. Um, what's next? Yeah. Today we're starting a series called Special. Well, not really. This is really a, a series that the next message will be in January, the first Sunday in January. This is actually a series that we're having through the book of John. However, this sermon fits right in with our next series, which is called Who Invented Christmas? So it's kind of a dual thing that it's here today, and it, and it is called special. Um, we've had some babies born in the church over my span of time here. I've held every single one of them in the hospital there, well, except for one, I had to make it to their home for that because some things happened. And it's really cool when you hold a baby for the very first time and you have that life and the little bitty fingers and the little bitty toes. Um, the largest one um, I ever held in this church is Haley's, which is in the back. He was, he was you know, he was a hunk, hunk of a boy and he's still broad shoulders and ready to play Davie County football, I think. It's what he's ready to do, cute as he can be, though. But, but they're really cool. But I will tell you, none of them compare to when I first held my daughter in my hands. None of them compare to when I first held my son in my hands. It doesn't even come close. Do I think it's special when, when I hold them in the hospital and when I see them and when I get to hold them? Sure, there's not a feeling like it. But it is something different when it's your kid, your child, it's going home with you, it is of your flesh, of your DNA, of who you are, and it's all in this little bitty thing that you're holding in your hands. It's also an amazing thing to see that thing birth. That is a miracle. There is no way that happens by chance. There's no way that happens by chance. It, it comes out, does not require programming, does not require batteries, requires food, 
already knows how to breathe. I didn't teach either one of my kids to breathe. I didn't teach either one of my kids to cry. I may have made them cry down through the years, but I've never taught them how to cry, never taught them how to laugh, never taught them how to smile, never taught them how to do that bright eye thing. It's just all there, and it's just so, so special. And there are things in life that are that special. And in life, when you're holding it for the very first time, is one of those things. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. And this is what it says. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we had seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's, there's a couple of things going on here, um, thematically going on here. First, you have this thing of life. There is this word of life, and then there's the eternal life. And this life is something, something that that is real to the writer. This is, this is something that connects the writer with whoever he's writing with. So there's this life thing going on. Word of life, eternal life, and you can have this life. The next thing that's going on in these four verses is there, there is something, this life has been heard, it has been seen, it has been looked upon, and it has been touched. It has been handled. So whatever this word of life is that he's talking about here is something that that the author has seen. It's something that he heard it speak. It it is something that has been touched. It is something that has been handled. It's the real deal. And he's saying to these people, hey, I have touched what I'm talking to you about by experience. The other thing that is here, this, this life and this touching and this handling and all this kind of stuff in this text has something to do with joy. It has something to do with joy being made complete in someone's life. So we have word of life, eternal life. We have this guy has um, heard, touched, saw it, handled it, and it has given him joy. So all these themes are going on in these verses. Now, there's some people, some commentators, that say that that these, these four verses are from some hymn that the first church originally sung together. I do not believe that. This is a text that is brilliantly written to set up the rest of the book, is what it is. And every single theme that you see in the first four verses of here, of of this book, 1 John, plays out in the rest of the book, and it's brilliantly written. Brilliantly written by John, who's an apostle under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and that is why this particular book is inspired. 
So with that, verse 1 says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched or handled with our hands concerning the word of life. The first thing we see here is that this word of life is, is from the beginning. Now, at first blush, first knee jerk, you're like, okay, so where's the beginning at? Okay, Apostle John also wrote John the Gospel, so maybe it's something there. Well, no, it's nothing there, although it does relate to the first chapter of John, okay? But he's not tying it there. Then the next thing you think is, well, what else could it tie to? Maybe it ties to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 where creation happens. You, you go there and you look. Well, there's some parallels between those two, and yeah, you can draw some stuff out of that and, and put it back here. But there's another ancient text that John actually is drawing from under the direction of the Holy Spirit, but drawing from to write this particular passage of Scripture, and that is Proverbs chapter 8. So turn in your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading um, with verse 12. And this is what it says. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. So immediately, we have from this passage that wisdom is speaking. Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counseled, I have, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight and strength. By me, wisdom, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles all govern justly. So whatever this wisdom is that is, that is being spoken of here has power. And this wisdom has power to place people into positions of power here on earth. So this, this wisdom is not just some sort of word, it, it's, it's life. It's, it's, something, it's something personal. It's something that is personally involved in the ins and outs of what's going on here on earth. Verse 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. This means that whatever this wisdom is, is not only personal, not only can put people into power, but it has the ability to exchange emotions with you and me. It has the ability, this wisdom has the ability to love people. Verse 18, it says, Riches and honor are with me, um, enduring wealth and righteousness. This is a verse that describes a king. If you had a description of a king, this would be a description of what a king is. And a king should have honor. A king has riches and wealth and a king should be righteous. Verse, the next verse, verse 19. Thanks, my eyes are not what they used to be. And it's something about this lighting. I don't understand what's going on. I could read this at home. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield 
than choice silver. In other words, what he's saying is what I have to offer you is better than anything you can get here on earth. It's better. Then verse 20, I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and fulfilling their treasures. So what he's saying is not only can I love, not only can I put people to power, I am personal enough to say I can grant you things that you need. I can give them to you. And when I give them to you, it's a treasure. It is something, it is something that is treasured. It is something that, it, that you will want to have. It is something that will enhance your life. And wisdom is not only personal at this point, it's a person. It's a person. And I need personal, yeah. Is a person. So here, person, this person that has said wisdom is, is telling you that I'm not only personal, but I'm also a person, and I'm going to further describe myself. So when you read in 1 John, he's relating back to Proverbs chapter 8. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the wisdom of life. He's talking about a person, and he's tying it back in to Proverbs chapter 8. Look at verse 22. The Lord... And that word Lord there is Yahweh. The Lord possessed. What did the Lord Yahweh possess? Me. Not me, but wisdom. When did he possess wisdom? At the beginning of his work. First John 1. What we know from the beginning, right? Which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have touched, which we have handled this word of life is the same thing that he's referring to. He's referring back to this passage. The first Lord, God, not the first Lord, Yahweh possessed it at the beginning of his work and the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before the, he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he knew a circle, when he drew a circle, sorry, on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen. From the beginning, we have heard, we have seen, we have touched and now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, who touch, touches them, who holds them, who makes them a part of their life, the word of life. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life. 
the word of life. Whoever finds me and sees me and touches me and holds me and has me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, from Yahweh. First John chapter 1 is referring back to Proverbs chapter 8, and it's an amazing description of Jesus, of the one that was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning, First John, we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify it to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Manifest to us. That first, we have seen with our eyes in verse 1, is the word that we get our English word theater from. And it's, and it's like a drama. It's like we were observers, and all of a sudden, boom, there's this drama on board, and we have seen with our own eyes the workings of this wisdom, of this word of life, of Jesus Christ. We have seen him here on earth walking among us. The next word that is here is a word for sight. We have looked upon, and we have looked upon with our eyes. Yes, we saw everything that he did, but at the same time, I, John, was close to him and saw him close and face to face and knew him very well. We have handled him. We have handled him because he came here to earth In Israel, we have touched him. Listen, I'm impressed, not that I need to be impressed, but I'm really impressed that Jesus Christ was virgin born. Very impressed with that. I think that's that's an absolute miracle. But that is not something that makes me go, wow. What makes me go, wow? is that the God that formed the universe crammed himself into a little child. That the God who created the universe and was there when everything was molded and everything was put into being and everything started to grow and all the stars was flying into into space, that God crammed himself into flesh. That God who did all of that and created me and who created my kids crammed himself into a little bitty body and came here to earth because he wanted to see you, be with you, hold you, help you. That is amazing. That is amazing. Listen, we just ate, not we, I ate chicken. We ate turkey. And I guarantee you, some of you wore stretchy pants to that ordeal. Because all that turkey and all that food cannot, you know, stay within this but so much. In fact, there was a cartoon in the uh, Davie County Enterprise, which the cartoons are pretty funny there sometimes, that this week that had a person laying back. It was, it was a lady, and her belly was big, and this guy was sitting here saying, no, a lady was sitting right beside her and saying, oh, what is it? And she said, food. Right? God, who is immensely vast and unbelievably huge, crammed himself into flesh and bone 
and walked among us. And John is here saying that I saw that and it was manifested to me very clearly that he was here and I walked with him, I sat with him, I touched him, I heard him and I proclaim him to you today. It is an amazing thing. If John was here today, he would tell you, this impacted my whole life and changed my direction. When I realized that the Messiah, the God of the universe, had crammed himself into flesh and bone and I was able to have a relationship with him and have fellowship with him, it changed my life. It changed the way that I thought about life. It changed the way that I thought about creation. It changed the way I thought about everything. It impacted me. It changed me. And I'm amazed, John would tell you, that this has come into being. It is an amazing, an amazing thought. So, we think about the birth of Christ at Christmas time. And it's not just a little, a little manger that we put a glass image of Jesus in for shepherds to look at, right? And for angels and to be cute in their home. That represents something that's real. The God of the universe crammed himself into flesh and bone. Um, John... Hoff, who usually sits over here, but because he's not in God's will, is sitting somewhere else. Where are you at, John Hoff? Oh, he's not here. Oh. <laughs> he's our treasurer. He took the money and ran. That's what he did. They're probably out doing something else. Have you, have you, have you ever seen John Hoff's car? Ever seen it? If you know who John, John Hoff's one of the tallest people here. I think he rivals, uh, he, he rivals um, Roger. Roger's a little broader, and I think Roger could take him in a fight. But, but um, my money would be on Roger. But nonetheless, he, he, he's big. He, he has this little bitty car that, he, that when he gets out of it, it's like he unfolds out of it, right? Right, he unfolds out of it. He, he just kind of fits in there. When I think of God... He, cramming himself into a little bitty body, I think of that image of him just taking himself and, and limiting himself to a little body to grow and to be here. The Bible says clearly that, that God let go of some things, right? He, he lets go of his omniscience, his omnipresence, his, his power in order to fit in that little body. How much of all of that did he really have to let go of to fit in that little body? A lot of it. A lot of it. And it's an amazing thing, an amazing thing. And it's something that impacted John that he wanted to proclaim loudly. Now, how many of you um, watch Hallmark Christmas movies? People watch Hallmark, yeah. Mostly ladies. Um, if you are a man and raised your hand, we have going to take your man card as you go out the door. Um, we have some people waiting, so just... <laughs> Unless you're military and bigger than me. Okay, great. So, so I've, shared, I've shared this before. This, this part I've shared before about Hallmark movies. Um, you might be watching a Hallmark movie if there is a character or group of characters with the names Nick, 
Chris, Holly, or Noel. Might be watching a Hallmark Christmas movie. You might be watching a Hallmark movie if someone is on their way home to a small town for Christmas. You're always coming to a small town for Christmas, always. As if I've watched a lot of them. If there is a small business that needs saving and the one coming home to the small town is the one that's going to save that small business, you, you might be watching a Hallmark Christmas movie. You might be watching a Hallmark Christmas movie if people are rediscovering the joy of Christmas. Seems like every single one, they're rediscovering the joy of Christmas. They lost the joy somehow and they're rediscovering it. And then next year, they, they lost the joy again. They're rediscovering it. Sometimes with different names, the same actors. It's crazy. You might be watching a Hallmark Christmas movie if you've, you've had to go upstairs to get a box of tissues for your wife. Right? You might be watching one of those. You might be watching a Hallmark movie if there is a decorating montage somewhere in the movie, which includes a scene of picking a tree. Right? Some type of decorating montage. Um... You might be watching a Hallmark movie if a token celebrity from the 80s or 90s, like a sitcom, is in the film. You might be watching a Hallmark movie. Next, you might be watching a Hallmark Christmas movie if two people fall in love and three to seven days later they get married. <laughs> Would not recommend that, but nonetheless, that might, you might be watching. And finally... Um, <laughs> You might be watching a Hallmark Christmas movie if it ends with two people kissing and snow begins to fall, even if they're in Southern California. <laughs> Always snowing somehow. Now, I wonder, I wonder about this. What, what attracts people to these movies? I am not necessarily attracted to a Hallmark Christmas movie. And I've been married long enough to where I no longer have to watch the said movies anymore. She actually gets her little iPad and does whatever she does romantically on the, on the iPad and watches all the flicks that make her cry and make her feel good about love and life and stuff. I watch something, something else like action-oriented things. I like action-oriented things. So I thought about that. I thought about the difference between Nicole and I um, and, and why I like action movies and why she likes romantic movies. Um, I think, I think people like romantic movies because they see something that they want in their own life. I, th I think they see, they connect emotionally with the characters on the screen. And, and, they, and that vision is something that they would like for their own life. Not that my wife is pursuing that or anything like that, but I mean, it's something there that attracts you. For instance, if I watch an action movie like Jason Bourne, I like to feel like I could fight exactly like he could fight, Right? And I desire to do, I mean, it's like, wow, that would be awesome if I could do that. And like, I'm connected to that. I could care less if somebody gets beat up or something like that. I just want to be the hero that, you know, fights everybody and wins. I want to be that guy. Well, I think Hallmark Christmas, Christmas movies and those type of dramas is a connection for people because that's what they want in their life. Maybe, maybe deep down inside, they are missing joy. Now, I'm not saying if you don't, you have joy, you can't watch Hallmark Christmas movies, I'm just wondering why they're so stinking popular. Listen, it's the same plot for all of them. Every single one of them, the same plot. I'll prove it to you. I went online and um, found a Hallmark story generator. In case you ever wanted to make a movie, you could go online, you could put your name in to it. It's not Facebook. 
I'm sure they're not far from doing this because you have all kinds of surveys that you can be on Facebook. But nonetheless, Hallmark Story Generator. And so what I did was I, I put my two kids' names in there. I, I put Aurora's in there. I have permission to share this. And this is Aurora's Hallmark movie, okay? Part one. She's a widow who is a single parent and has fallen on some hard times and must return to her hometown to find answers. So that's part one. Part two. Aurora finds love at a local hardware store as the manager helps her find what she needs after dropping everything in her hands and he helps her pick it up. Come on, right? It's always that moment. If you ever watched a Hallmark movie, it's always, oh, and the guy's there, oh, let me help you with that. And they look into each other's eyes and they're like, oh. Like that, that's, that's how it goes, right? Okay? Part three. Aurora and this guy, they don't name the guy, works together to overturn the curse that was sent to that small town back in the 1800s And while they're turning over that curse, they fall in love in the process. That is her Hallmark movie. Isn't that that special? It's so special. So I did Quinn, too. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, um, according to Hallmark, Aurora is not going to be one that supports me in my later life when I'm old. It's going to be Quinn. Listen to this. Quinn is a big city surgeon who hasn't been to his family's small town in over a decade, but decides to return for his failing parents. They die. We die. We die. He then gets the house, okay? He gets the house. While fixing up the house, this is part two now, okay? He runs into town and runs into a high school sweetheart who fell off the map the day after graduation, but is back in town uh, 20 years later, okay? So he's fixing up the house. He runs into his high school sweetheart. Then they, those two, must work together to save the town from an avalanche, and they fall in love in the process. So Louisville is going to have an avalanche. I'm not sure where it's going to come from, Pilot Mountain or something, and they're going to, they're going to do all that. But, but here it is. And in the end, both of their stories end very happily. They fall in love. Every Hallmark field film ends happily, and they fall in love. There is something about that that's attractive that says, yes, I would like to have that joy that's at the end of the movie. The problem is most people connect with the middle of the film, with the tragedy, with what's wrong, because they know that they're going through that in this life. And they would love to find something. They would love to find something that would help them to a happy ending. They would love to find something that would help them find joy. And people are like that. People are like that. So in John, when he says, this life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us, so that you may have a relationship with us, so that you might have a partnership with us, so that we will have a close relationship with you, right? And so that you will have 
fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. A partnership, a fellowship, a friendship, something that connects you. So, verse 4, that our joy may be complete. You see, God has already had or designed or come up with a joy generator. And it has to do with this word of life that became flesh and dwelt among us. The thing that was touched, that was filled, that was handled, that was personal to us when he was here and even personal to us now. And so this joy has something to do with that word of life and us actually grabbing a hold of him, right? And then once we grab a hold of him, all of a sudden we can have fellowship with other people that have seen Christ, that have, that have touched Christ, that have experienced Christ in their lives and in their heart. All of a sudden, this eternal special life that is a one of a kind produces a fellowship also that is one of a kind. The reason you and I have trouble having long-lasting relationships with unbelievers is because they do not have the eternal life. They do not have Jesus in their heart. There is not a connection. The reason that you and I can have that connection with people that have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is because they share the same life that you share, the unique life, the special life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that crammed himself into flesh, died on the cross of Calvary, rose again so that you can have a life that's just like his, so that he can come inside of you and live there. The reason you can have a long-lasting relationship with a Christian is because you share that life that has been manifested to you and has been manifested to them. It is the closest fellowship relationship that you can have, and you cannot have it with an unbeliever. You can't have it with an unbeliever. You can have it with believers. Now, you might be saying, well, I've been to church, and I haven't really connected with some people at church. And Well, it is possible that those people don't have the life that you have. Come on. It is possible that those people are so in tune with politics in church that they have forgot the Savior, that they're so in turn with the religious side of church that they have forgotten the life that has been manifested long, a long time ago. It could be that the people that you're trying to connect with in your church don't have Christ at all. And that's why you can't have a long, deep relationship with those people. Have you ever thought about that? Here in 1 John, it says, look, you've got the life. There's a group of people that also have that same koinonia, that same fellowship because of that life that you can connect to immediately. Have you ever met someone for the very first time and there's an instant connection and you know that it's God? You know it is. You don't know anything about them, but you know that person... That person has Jesus. I don't, I don't know their name. I don't know where they came from. I don't know how many children they have, but that person I just shook their hand with has God. And then you go up to somebody else and you, and you shake them and you're like, man, there's something missing with that particular person. Why is that? Because there's a God inside of you, a spirit inside of you, a life inside of you that's testifying with your spirit that that person is a part of the family. And this person needs to be part of the family. You tracking? Yeah. It is so important for you and I 
to make long-lasting relationships with other believers. It is not that we do not like or love or care for people that do not have Christ. We just cannot socialize. We cannot find true friendship in people that do not have the eternal life inside of them, that do not have this life inside of them. You will never find that life. I'll tell you this too. There's some of us, and I'm not not saying you should never listen to music, but there's some music guys that doesn't have that life in it. See, what we like to do is we like to make man-made life, right? Man-made life. I love, don't judge me, I love the beat to rap music. Love it. I am white, but it does something to me. And then the guy, and I'm so old now, I can't even understand half of the lyrics that are being said when, when somebody's rapping. I mean, it has to be slow. I'm so thankful that Christian rap is slow, right? Because I, I could never hear any other words, like stuff. But I'm telling you, when you listen to, to rap and the lyrics that are just nasty and dark and not a part of life, there's just not a connection. There's a joy for an instant, like, you know, you're grooving to it, right? And, and it brings that environment to it, but it's, there's something missing. But when you listen to a worship song, there's something that connects with me on a deeper level that connects with my actual soul. You and I need to make sure that our music isn't our man-made joy and that our music is actually honoring the Christ that lives inside of us, the eternal life that is outside of us. It doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that you have to always listen to Christian music, but if you're listening to stuff that is, has lyrics that goes against the word of life, it's time to get rid of that music. There are other, there's other, tons of other music that you can listen to um, secular and Christian, that would be okay. But if the words are cussing and talking about sex and drugs and alcohol and, and, and a way of life that is contrary to the word of God, get rid of that music. It's not good for you. It doesn't connect. It's not a good fellowship. It's not going to be deep for you. It's not going to help you. We like to men make our joy. We like certain songs, certain things, certain stuff. Um, Christmas music. Is, is that way, right? I'm not telling you that you should get rid of, you know, Sleigh Ride or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'm not telling you that. But I am telling you that the majority of your Christmas, Christmas music this season should be something about the Lord Jesus Christ cramming himself into the flesh and coming to save your soul. The majority of what you're listening to should be that, you will have a deeper experience, a deeper koinonia with the Christians around you and God the Father and God the Son if you focus on him this Christmas, even in your music. Now, this fellowship thing, right? This fellowship thing is fellowship with each other. I have talked for a couple of weeks, and this has been pretty convicting, this message. I planned a year ago. God, you knew what I needed. I've, I've thought about this connection thing, and I, and I know that I'm not the only one, 
like to man-make peace. Okay? Like to man-make it. And this is how I do it. And I would bet money, but I'm not a betting man because I have Jesus inside of me and I don't bet, I don't gamble. Although I would put a wager on Roger and, and John Hoff going, going at each other. Nonetheless, I don't do that. But nonetheless, I, I, would, I would wager that you're this way too. If there are people that you don't like that much, what I find myself re- doing is I retreat and I retreat and I retreat until I have a very small circle of friends or no friends at all. <laughs> I'm fine with my family. Sometimes I would rather be with Nicole, Quinn, and Aurora for the rest of my life and not see anybody. You ever be that way? Come on. Come on, right? And so you, you have that, and you start retreat. And so within your family group, or you get it down to where you have peace and you have joy without all those people that are causing you the opposite. That is called man-made peace, man-made joy, man-made fellowship. What the writer of Scripture is saying here is there's a big family of God that have touched, saw, and felt this life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has done that so that you you and I can have authentic relationships, close relationships with those people that are a part of the body of Christ. I need to quit retreating to where everything's peaceful and joyful and step out and make connections with people that know the Lord Jesus Christ to find true, complete, it says in 1 John chapter 4, joy. Maybe the reason that your joy isn't complete is because you're man-making it and you're retreating it and you're trying to create an environment where you have it. No, God, because he came, became flesh and dwelt among us, has already created complete joy. You just have to grab a hold of it. You just have to live it and you have to connect with people to do it. Are you with me? Some of us, and this isn't me, have this fear thing going on. We've been hurt in the past, so we don't want to connect here. We've been hurt here, so we don't want to connect with these people. We've been hurt here, and so what we do is we protect ourselves with security. And so we get to where we can have joy without having to connect with people. And God says, no, that's man-made joy. You need to break through all of that, and you need to connect with people. Connect with Christians. Get involved in a small group. Don't be alone. Jesus doesn't want you to be alone. He wants you to connect with his family. He wants you to connect with people that have Jesus inside of them. He wants you to have relationships with people that truly know Christ. He wants you to get to know them and they to get to know you. He wants you to operate like a healthy family. That is why he was manifested. That is why he allowed himself to be seen. That is why he allowed himself to be touched and handled. That's why he came, so that you and I could have life with people and community with people. That is when joy is complete. Maybe the reason Your joy isn't complete 
is because you're not connecting with his people. Maybe the reason your joy isn't complete is because you're not connecting with God the Father and God the Son. Maybe the reason your joy is not complete is because you're trying to man-make your joy in other things. Now, there's another way that we like to man-make joy. I don't, I don't know how to describe all of this, but there are some things that sometimes people get, get involved with that they do just because of the joy of the moment and then they wake up the next day not having joy? Are, are you following me? They, they get involved in this party, this environment, these people, and then the next day they feel bad about themselves because here they were just having fun and they just had happiness, but they, the next day they no longer have that joy, so they seek that environment again. I have, I have people um, that I went to high school with that, that do this on a regular basis. They post it on Facebook. And, and my soul grieves for them because in the bar scene and in the party scene, they're trying to be happy. They're trying to find joy. They're trying to find their place in the world. And they just keep going back. See, there, there are really only two churches in the world. This one and ones like it all across America and the bar. Both sets of people are going there to find community. Both sets of people are going there to try to figure out what to do with hurt. Both sets of people are trying to go there to find joy and completion. But they can't find it in the bar. And unfortunately, in churches across America, they can't find it there either in some of them. Right? You and I need to be the place where we have community and connections with each other and relationships where our joy is complete so that when someone walks through that door, they feel it if they are also a Christian and they instantly connect. And even unbelievers that walk through the door walk in this place and say, hey, there's something different about this group of people. I can't put my finger on it, but they all have something, a completeness that I do not have. And make no mistake, the people that do not have the completeness instantly recognize when you and I have it. Instantly recognize. They don't know what it is, but they instantly recognize it. There's a depth, there's a stability, there's a completeness of joy, and it's all because we have something special and unique that the world cannot offer. Something that created the universe and placed everything into existence. God incarnate in my heart and in yours they sense it and they know you have something that they are missing and they're trying to connect we need to be a witness to people that come in that don't have it and we need to be an encouragement to people who have been looking for it in churches all across our area you and i you and i so how is your fellowship how's your fellowship with the people in this room are you connected? Are you connected with people in your church? Are you connected with other believers? Is that who you have your long-lasting relationships with? If not, you need to get to that point. We don't exclude like people that don't know Christ because you have to be friendly to them, with them too, but you can't have a deep relationship with someone that isn't a believer. How are you living your life? 
Are you living your life in such a way that it honors Christ and it honors God and that fellowship during the week is really tight? That you're not doing the things over here that are against Scripture. You're really trying to live your life for God and you're connecting with Him on a fellowship level. You see, your relationship with other Christians and your relationship with God is a one plus one equation which equals complete joy. If you're struggling with your relationship with God the Father, you're going to struggle with your relationships with other people. If you're struggling with your relationships with other Christians, you're going to struggle with your relationships with God the Father and God the Son. It, it is made to work together so that your joy may be full, so that your joy may be complete. I think it's high time that the church in general just drops all the petty junk that we like to get upset about and focus on each other and the Lord Jesus Christ and why he came here in the first place. And he came because he loved you. And he loved you. And he loved you. And he wanted to have a relationship with you. And he wanted to touch and feel and have an experience with your life. And he wanted to strengthen you during times of trouble and let you know that he's God. He wanted to be involved with you, and that is why he came. It is time for the church of God to get serious about fellowship with each other and fellowship with the Lord. Let's pray.